You are entering the Freedom Hut. Well, it's finally happened. The Democrat majority has taken the House. They are now in charge, and things are going to get rough. But the good news is President Trump so far is sticking to his guns when it comes to the border wall, and it looks like the shutdown is going to continue for quite a while. Does he have the backbone to see it through? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Power our mandate for the people, to lower health care costs and prescription drug prices and protect people with pre-existing medical conditions. To increase paychecks by rebuilding America with green and modern infrastructure from sea to shining sea. To pass HR1 to restore integrity to government so that people can have confidence that government, in a government that works for the people not the special interest. We will make America fairer by passing the Equality Act to end discrimination against the LGBTQ community. And we will make America more American by passing our, by protecting our patriotic, courageous dreamers. None of that's actually going to happen, but that was uh, Nancy Pelosi's opening today. She is now the Speaker of the House. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Come on in. The water's warm. We are now living in a a different political environment. The Democrats finally have control of, well, one one part of Congress, and that means that things are going to get uh, things are going to get messy. Things get messy. Pelosi and her priorities. Oh my. The last one I thought in that laundry list was the most interesting. We're going to make America more American by making non-Americans in the country illegally Americans. Hmm. The the dreamers issue is one that the the Democrats talk so much about, and yet the more you dig into it, the more you see that it's just the beginning of what is mass amnesty. It's mass amnesty. I'm telling you it will be mass amnesty, meaning everybody, more or less. Unless you are a hardened criminal, and even then, you know, the ACLU and La Raza and whatever, whatever groups out there that can will intervene to try to prevent there from being any more deportations. Um, If they get if they get dreamers, it's all over. In fact, it's it's just the reason they're so set on it is they know that with that domino falling, all the rest of them toward amnesty will will follow. Uh, But Pelosi is. Speaker of the House again, it's I'm trying to get used to it. You know, I, I remember what it was like back in the day. I remember not too long ago what it was, what it meant for this government to uh, have Nancy Pelosi in that position. Donald Trump will not be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Remember that? Yep. Turns out Nancy was wrong on that one. So that's good news. But you have this, uh, this this new Congress that I don't know how much people really care about it outside the Beltway. There was a lot of pomp and circumstance today of, ooh, the new Congress. We got all these speeches, you know, yeah, whatever. How does it matter to you? Well, it matters because, for one, we're now in a uh, divided government scenario, and that means gridlock. 
Uh, and, and I will just say that may be a good thing. You know, at least when a government is, is divided in this way. And, and keep in mind, the way that they've set it up, the government's divided even when it's not. You know, in, unless you have 60 votes in the Senate, you can't really get all that much done, as we've seen. Unless you have the 60 votes. And this is a restraint that's put on members of Congress by members of Congress. You know, I mean, Mitch McConnell and the, and the Senate Republicans were essentially the guys yelling, hold me back in a bar fight. When there's no one holding them back, they're holding themselves back. They, they could have gone, you know, they could have changed the Senate rules. They could do that. They could make it a simple majority vote. There's nothing constitutional about the 60 vote threshold for getting bills passed. That's just they've just made that up. They've just decided that this is how they want to do it. But now we're going to see what it's like when the Democrats can set the agenda in the House, can use House resources and really the the bully pulpit of the floor of the House of Representatives to just be another voice of opposition against the administration. You know, when you count them up, there is plenty of bastions of hashtag resistance. And there's a lot of them. The judiciary, all you need. I mean, this is a legal strategy, folks, that's been deployed against the administration. It's a form of lawfare against the Trump administration. You, you have fora, you know, or forum shopping, plural fora, right? Forum shopping. You just, all you need to do is bring a, Bring a case against the federal government in California, New York, Massachusetts. Some federal judge will put a nationwide injunction in place and essentially overrule the executive branch and the Trump administration on a matter of policy until they can get the Supreme Court to weigh in. This is not hard. They're stymieing them. Then you add into the media opposition, the media opposition to Trump, which is just at, at levels that are insane. I mean, they. They, they are in a frothy-mouthed, anti-Trump rage all the time. Uh, and now you've got the House of Representatives also added into it, uh, where you got a majority that Nancy Pelosi's going to lead. And they're going to do—look, I think there was already someone today who introduced articles of impeachment. They're going to impeach. Just all, all talk to the contrary is they're just trying to make it—you know, they don't want to give away the ending of, of the movie, even though we all know how this movie's going to end. All you have to do is listen to them, hear them talk about this. Nancy Pelosi today was, and we'll play the audio later. She's saying maybe even the president can be criminally indicted. Wait, what? I, I thought we, I thought that wasn't supposed to happen. This was actually uh, yesterday. Representative Hank. I mean, th this is the mentality of these Democrats. I I'm trying to prepare you and me at the same time, or prepare us psychologically for the onslaught that's coming of smears, lies, lawfare. Uh, investi you know, investigations just meant as harassment. I mean, presidential harassment is going to be what our House of Representatives is doing more than anything else for the next 18 months. That's what's going to be happening. You just listen. Here, here's uh, Congressman Johnson, Democrat from Georgia, yesterday speaking about the, the president of the United States. Play 17. Americans elected an authoritarian, anti-immigrant, racist, strong man to the nation's highest office. Donald Trump and his Make America Great Again followers who want to return America back to a time when white men and white privilege were unchallenged and where minorities and women were in their place. Much like Hitler took over the Nazi party, Trump has taken over the Republican party. Oh yeah, there we go. A Hitler reference. You, you knew it was coming, folks. You knew it was coming. A Hitler reference to the president of the United States. Guys, uh, 
if we're, if we're really we're really going to get down to brass tacks here for a moment. Trump is governing largely as a you know except on the issue of immigration, the wall. To be fair, which is a signature issue, but he, he's been been pretty centrist on all these, pretty centrist on foreign policy, on taxes, on. They they didn't repeal Obamacare. They truncated it a bit. They cut it down. But, you know, he's been, in a lot of ways on policy, actually a pretty moderate uh, GOP or conservative force. You know, he he has not been some hard... I mean, and the Hitler stuff is... This is just things... This is something that people who aren't very smart say. Uh, he's like Hitler. Or let's compare him to Hitler. That's, this is really an intelligence test. And it's one that m- much of the mainstream media has has failed... Um, but it's one thing that we need to keep in mind going forward because they, they've been saying that this president is a racist, is a traitor, is, is Hitler. Total side note today. I had a, I had a, uh, Uber driver named Stalin, which I thought was pretty amazing. I had never, that was his name. It popped up. I said, really? Your name is, your first name is Stalin. Well, you know, maybe he's trying to, you know, take that name and do a little, uh, you know, change it up a little bit it means man of steel wasn't actually you know stalin's stalin's name is not really his name it's kind of like che Guevara is not che is not really his name anyway um but yeah they, they call trump hitler so of course they're gonna have to you're gonna not impeach hitler <laughs> what kind of what kind of president does that set right i mean they're gonna say this stupid stuff they're gonna act on this stupid stuff if they're gonna say moronic things they're gonna act like morons that's what the democrats are gonna do this is where it's heading so we should just be prepared for that. Uh, we should also be prepared for a fair amount of rewriting history, which we know is always a thing that Democrats are engaged in. Here's Representative Hakeem Jeffries talking about the Pelosi nomination process today, uh, just giving all, all this praise to Nancy. Play 16. Nancy Pelosi, captain the ship that defeated the effort to privatize Social Security, rescued our economy in the midst of the Great Recession, saved the American automobile industry, provided affordable health care to more than 20 million Americans. Nancy Pelosi will fight to lower health care costs, strengthen the Affordable Care Act, protect people with pre-existing conditions, increase pay for everyday Americans, enact the real infrastructure plan, clean up corruption, defend the dreamers, fix the Voting Rights Act, and end the era of voter suppression once and for all. It's 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 like a maelstrom. It's a, it's a tornado of wrong platitude and what the heck we we're just subjected to there uh you know I, look i know that politics in general people boil things down to very basic phrases and they want to they want to simplify things and all that but you know the idea that nancy pelosi is going to do all those things or even wants to do all those things it's just it's just nuts uh the, the notion that pelosi saved the economy uh, how how I mean, the, the talk about rewriting history. Democrats have gotten such a pass, and I, look, I blame not just the news media but pop culture too. You go back and look at the movie, The Big Short. Not a mention of Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac in the movie, The Big Short. Not a mention of the Community Reinvestment Act and the Clinton administration policy of suing banks, financially destroying people who wouldn't make loans to essentially. Uh, 
based on FICO scores, underqualified applicants, a lot of whom are minorities. So, so you know, the, the whole fin- the whole great recession that we had to deal with and the housing crisis, yes, Wall Street played a role and Wall Street is full of people who are rapaciously greedy. Not all of them, but a lot of them. There's a lot of greed on Wall Street, no question. But there was also a tremendous amount of government policy, policy that people like Pelosi, in fact, Pelosi was at the forefront of pushing for this stuff. But now we're going to say that she saved the economy. Anyway, you know Pelosi is, uh, you know, a classic, classic limousine liberal, claims to be a Catholic, but wants abortion all nine months of a pregnancy for any reason, every reason, and wants you to pay for it, by the way, but still goes and takes communion, you know, still thinks of herself as a good Catholic. How? I, I don't know. I guess it, you know, nothing really matters anymore. Nothing is what it is. It's all just subject to, uh, you know, whims and interpretation. Um, but, but my friends, batten down the hatches because this is going to be a rough ride for the Trump administration starting today. I'm not saying that they're going to win. I'm not saying that we're going to lose. I'm just, this is what, there is so much... Uh, insane rage. I mean, they really, you know, the elites, the the left-wing power structure in this country, they hate Trump, but they also really hate Trump voters. Don't forget that. They also really despise me for supporting this president up to this point, and they want payback. That's going to motivate a lot of what they do. That's going to be uh, a factor here behind the scenes. Um, I, I want to get into the shutdown, where it stands. Obviously, we're still in a shutdown, but you know the wall. I spoke to a senior border patrol officer today. I'm hoping to get down to the border in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I, I, I want to uh, really dive into this issue of immigration because this is, in a lot of ways, make or break for the Trump presidency. Can can he can he get this wall? Can he fix this problem? Uh, that's the the stakes are enormous right now. We'll come back to that because the president gave a uh, press conference today. Kind of surprised people. So we'll talk about that a bit. Stay with me. I just appreciate them being here. I said, let's go out, see the press. You can tell them about the importance of the wall. They basically said, and I think I can take the word basically out, without a wall, you cannot have border security. Without a very strong form of barrier, call it what you will, but without a wall, you cannot have border security. It won't work. You see what's just been put out on social media where thousands of people are rushing the border, having a drone fly overhead. And I think nobody knows much more about technology, this type of technology, certainly, than I do. Having drones and various other form of sensors, they're all fine, but they're not going to stop the problems that this country has. We've never had more people wanting to come to the United States, and that has to do with the economy and has to do with a lot of other things. We're, we're doing great as a country, but the better we do, the more people want to come in. You can call it a barrier, you can call it whatever you want, but essentially we need protection in our country. We're going to make it good. Uh, the people of our country want it. I have never had so much support as I have in the last week over my stance for border security, for border control, and for, frankly, the wall or the barrier. I have never had anything like it in terms of calls coming in, in terms of people writing in and tweeting and doing whatever they have to do. I've never had this much support, and we've done some things that, as you know, have been very popular. 
I hope that Trump sticks with it. Sounds like he will. This is a pivotal moment. This is a tipping point for the country. This is forcing the Democrats' hand. This is forcing everyone to face the reality of what's happening at our southern border, which is that we do not have control of it. We have an ongoing illegal alien infiltration of the of the country that's been happening for decades. The tune of they say 12 million now. I think it's 20 to 30. It's at least 20. Uh, And people want it to stop. They want it to stop. And a wall, this idea that a wall won't work. I mean, I, I had. Uh, Border Patrol Chief of Operations tell me today, of course, a wall works. We very in favor of a wall. Uh, Border agent Brandon Judd spoke at that press conference where we just played you some some of the uh, audio of President Trump. Uh, This is what he said about it. Play 23. I've been a Border Patrol agent for 21 years. I can personally tell you from the work that I have done on the southwest border that physical barriers, that walls actually work. You hear a lot of talk from the expert that You hear a lot of talk that there are experts that say that walls don't work. I promise you that if you interview Border Patrol agents, they will tell you that walls work. I worked in Naco, Arizona for 10 years. We didn't have physical barriers in Naco, and illegal immigration and drug smuggling was absolutely out of control. We built those walls, those physical barriers, and illegal immigration dropped exponentially. Anywhere that you look where we have built walls, they have worked. They have been an absolute necessity for Border Patrol agents in securing the border. We need those physical barriers, and we appreciate President Trump and all of his efforts in getting us those physical barriers. So does career Border Patrol agent Judd there, does he not know something that Nancy and Chuck know? Can we get Nancy and Chuck to show up at that press conference and explain how walls don't work? I'd really like to, I'd like to know. You know, what is their argument to this? Are, 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 all, are all the Border Patrol agents, senior, all the way down to the rank and file, are they just, they, what, they've all been bought off with MAGA hats? I mean, somebody needs to explain to me what the answer is from the Democrats. Because everybody who knows a darn thing about the border says the same thing when it comes to the wall, and that is the wall would work, walls do work, and we need a wall. The Democrats uh, didn't know uh, didn't believe and didn't care about anything Secretary Nielsen had to say. Had they listened, had they been able to understand, had they believed the information, uh, they would now know that uh, CBP has arrested 17,000 convicted criminals in one year coming into this country. ICE has detained almost 4,000 known or suspected terrorists thousands of gang members have been arrested at our border as well. Nancy Pelosi refused to listen to those numbers. And when they were actually said and spread around the room, she refused to believe them as well. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Democrats are denialists when it comes to the border. Denialists when it comes to the crime that surges into this country, the deaths, the misery, the despair that results from the lawlessness, not just at our border, but also of our immigration policies and the lack of enforcement in the interior of this country. Sanctuary city policies, unwillingness to work with federal law enforcement to get you know, gang members who are in sanctuary jurisdictions, not just arrested, out of the country, out. If they, if they are illegals, they should not be here, period. 
The numbers are staggering. I, you know, I, I had uh, the chief of operations for Border Patrol on today. I talked to him for quite a bit, offset, onset, you know, on air, and uh, Chief Hastings, and, and we had a really uh, interesting discussion about first of all the the wall in uh, Sandy, I mean, the barrier wall. You know, I, I hate the semantics. Or, the the barrier in place in the San Ysidro uh, border sector at in San Diego, essentially, what separates San Diego from Tijuana. And now it's now that I know how to say it, it's kind of fun to say. And now I kind of want to strut my stuff, you know, Tijuana. Hello. Como esta? Tijuana. Um, but that barrier is effective. And it's so effective, in fact, that you have people from the caravan trying to destroy it so that they can get through. If it was just as easy as walk down the road a little bit and you'll get in the U.S. where there's no barrier, guess what? They'd probably do that, right? They're trying to go through the barrier, trying to overrun. That's why you had that incident with 150 migrants who were trying to overrun a uh, one, one sector of the, well, one part of the fence and then and, uh, through rocks and had to have tear gas deployed. But one part of this that I don't think that doesn't get talked about enough, the Border Patrol chief, that uh, I keep saying chief, uh, the chief of operations, he told me that they're looking into this and they have early indications that there are English speakers on the other side of the border. Remember, this is a career law enforcement guy, right? He's not, he's not trying to win some political office. He's just telling me what he knows. He says there are, are reports. Now, this is intel. This is not, you know, this is not, uh, you know, a court record or matter of public record yet. But there's intel. There are English speakers, you know, native English speakers on the other side of the border who are encouraging and helping to coordinate incidents like the one we saw on New Year's where you had a, an effort to mass in one place and overrun Border Patrol, and to use specific tactics like putting women and children so that they throw rocks at Border Patrol, and then when the tear gas is deployed, they move women and children forward so that, yes, you can get these photos, because obviously you got journos down there, you get these photos of the women and children getting tear gas and all the stuff happening, but there's also the possibility, you know, that depending on how they're Deploying that tear gas, you know, maybe somebody gets hit by a tear gas projectile. Maybe you get a, a you know, a ten-year-old kid, and you know, I know there are different ways they can do this. You know, they can fire it out of a canister, and there's there's a lot of ways. You know, maybe they're just throwing the smoke bombs. But the, you know, if you get somebody that's injured in that exchange, especially if it's a woman or a child, that's all you're going to hear about. That's all you're going to hear about. Um, meanwhile, the stuff that I'm telling you about, like there are. From senior level of Border Patrol, they're saying there are people that are coordinating this on the other side, causing a causing the optics that will then be uh, used as open borders propaganda. Look at how evil we are. Look at how bad our Border Patrol is being. Naughty, naughty, bad Border Patrol. They're trying to create those incidents, and then it's going to be projected not just all around our media, but all around the world. So there is a hidden hand behind some of this. And I'm not, I'm not just guessing or making it up. I'm being told this by people who are down there on the front lines and who know. So that's one part of it. The other part is when you look at uh, the, the storylines about how we've had, what, two, two children have died. Look, any kid, any you know, small child, anyone who, who loses their life, 
to an illness is a sad, sad story, regardless of, you know, what country they're from or the circumstances, you know, it's, it's a sad thing. Uh, so we, we start from that problem and, and we're good people. So we automatically have an emotional response to a child who's, who's brought to the border, who dies from, from a disease of, of any kind. Right. And, and we do want to help anybody who shows up at our border, who's showing signs of, of an acute illness should be treated. That's who we are. That's, that's the, the kind of people we are in America. But you know, there's another side to this story. And that is the, as the chief told me today, over 4,000 life saving measures taken by border patrol over the last year, 4,000 incidents of border patrol saving people who were drowning saving people who were uh, dying from uh, thirst, you know, or, or, or from hypothermia being, you know, grabbed out in the desert. People forget the desert in the wintertime or even just at night gets really cold, right? Intervening in, in life-saving fashion and in, in some cases with real risk to themselves. You know, Border Patrol guys got to go out and jump out in the river and try to save somebody who's drowning. Anybody who's ever tried to save somebody from drowning will tell you it's it's dangerous for a number of reasons. One is the person you're trying to save might pull you under because they're panicking. And, you know, it's, that's just the response that they're going to have. So, you know, you're not hearing about the 4,000 lives that Border Patrol has saved uh, or, or a life-saving incidents involved with them. You do hear so much more about these two children. Now we've got a policy where everyone's going to be checked when they come to the border. Well, guess what's going to happen? Guess what's going to happen? Now this is going to be abused. Now we're going to see people that are showing up at the border with chronic health conditions. And they're going to be now that that's, you know, that's a different thing than you show up and say, okay, you know, if you're a kid and you're running 103 fever and we're worried about you, you know, we're, we, we take care of children. I mean, if you're, you know, these are you know, the men and women of border patrol, their moms, their dads, their brothers and sisters, they got kids of their own. They're not, you know, they're not heartless people. In fact, quite the contrary. They're law enforcement doing a really important job and they get a lot of grief from the media, not a lot of, not a lot of praise. You think of how much, how in love with the like senior reaches of the FBI, the media is because of Mueller and, you know, destroying Trump versus the way they treat border patrol. And you just see that it's it's all, it's opportunistic from them. It's opportunistic. Uh, I I got more, I mean, the border is an issue, as you know, I'm very, very fired up on this. So we're going to talk more about this in a moment. Stay with me. Democrats refuse to acknowledge the facts. What the president did today was monumental. He brought them to the White House, to the Situation Room, to have a conversation with Secretary Nielsen so she could brief them on all the crisis that's going on in the border. These numbers are devastating. They are sad. They are needless. And they are senseless. And Democrats wanted nothing to do with it. In fact, the president opened the meeting. He then turned to Secretary Nielsen, introduced her, and said now she's going to begin her briefing. Within five seconds, Chuck Schumer prompted Nancy Pelosi to cut Secretary Nielsen off, which she dutifully did within seconds, and then the entire uh, presentation was basically over. I bet that the Secretary probably said 50 words uh, in the entire presentation. I think that's really emblematic here of where the Democrats are on the border and on immigration in general. They just they just don't want to hear it. They just want to tell stories about uh, about illegal alien valedictorians and they want to tell stories about family separation. And, and that's it. That There's nothing else. 
They don't want to talk about the, what it does to depress wages to have so many illegals dump in the country, what it's doing in communities across the country to have so many illegals in the schools and the English as a second language. None of that. They, they don't want to hear any of that. They don't want to hear about the opioid crisis and how the uh, cartels are playing such a huge, a huge role in this. And, and I, I'm going to chase this story down. I mean, it, I'm going to start writing more on this and trying to. I'm glad I get to talk to all you, all of you about it. And thank you for listening on, on these issues because it's so important. There is, there is a media bias toward talking about the opioid epidemic as though it is primarily a function of overprescription by doctors. And again, I, I have sources here and, and I've spoken to people in the DOJ about this issue specifically. And the truth is that the stats that show over 70,000 people dying from fentanyl and opioids are, are overwhelmingly pointing toward illegal, uh, illegal drugs that are being sold by the cartels or by subsidiaries of the cartels in this country on the streets. That's what's driving the opioid epidemic now. Doctors aren't idiots. They know that they've got to watch who they're prescribing and what they're prescribing now. And they know that DEA... DEA has caused a 30% drop in overall opioid prescriptions in this country in, I think, the last two years. Uh, I have to check for the spam, but it's, it's, it's down 30% from its height. So DEA is, they're going after doctors. And obviously that's had a real effect, but what the cartels are doing is filling in now. They know there's this huge market for opioids, so they're making them in Mexico. They are making counterfeit fentanyl. And in fact, they've had cases uh, in, in certain states, it's, it's certainly happened in California, where they will make fentanyl. The cartels will illegally make fentanyl and make it look like OxyContin. So people think they're taking black market Oxy, but it's actually fentanyl. Fentanyl is easier to make. It's only like a four-step process. And fentanyl is much more potent than OxyContin is. So that just and so so they're trying to fill in where where there's now this this market for illicit drugs. They're trying to fill in by making it look like it's big pharma drugs, but really this is the cartels posing as big pharma to make make profits. And, those, and so, you know, that's now you got to understand that people are being fa- they're finding Oxycontin pills on them and, and at overdose sites. One, it's not really Oxy. So this doesn't come from any of the big pharma companies. Now, this isn't Pfizer. This isn't, you know, any of the big drug makers out there necessarily. I mean, that there's some of that, too. Obviously, there's black market sales of prescription drugs. But just to show you where this is trending, now you have the cartels pretending that they're big pharma pills. Uh, and, and making them appear to be, you know, using the molds, the same molds, uh, so that they can sell this to people illegally. So, you know, that's, you know, I, I, that's, I think, a really important story for people to know because border security isn't just national security because it's of possible terrorist infiltrations and all that. People tend to, a lot of people just tune that out. It is an issue of life and death because of the drug trade in this country and what it is doing in this country. And most of that stuff is coming across the border. Most overdoses are from illegally obtained drugs. 
which can include prescription drugs, but it's illegally obtained drugs. And the Democrats don't even, they don't even want to talk about it. They, don't even, they got nothing on this. They got no, no willingness to hear out what's really going on. And that also then brings me to, uh, speaking of California and the cartels, you know, sanctuary laws. My friend Lawrence Jones has uh, been doing some man on the streets. So Lawrence Jones used to work with me at The Blaze. Now he's a Fox, a Fox contributor. Uh, Lawrence, a great guy. And he's been asking residents of California what they think of the state sanctuary laws. This was interesting. Play clip four. A lot of people are blaming the California sanctuary state policy. Do you agree with that? I think it's the worst thing California's done in a long time. I'm not the the big wall person. But I think a sanctuary state is crazy. Sanctuary city policy. It's the stupidest thing that Democrats could have ever done in this country. Well, it's stupid from the perspective, I agree with that last fellow on the street there, it's, it's stupid from the perspective of law and order and public safety and rule of law, but if all you're really trying to do is ensure a Democrat supermajority, it's actually kind of evil brilliant, if you want to want to know the truth. It makes a lot of, they get to pose as the humanitarians, the nice people, the saviors, the Democrats, the left all these progressive open borders activists, they get to be the ones who, you know, who care, who are kind, who who want to help people. And the media is completely complicit in this. The media doesn't want it doesn't want anyone to, to hear the stories about, you know, the the deaths that result from an unwillingness to work with federal law enforcement at the local level uh, and to deport people who are dangerous. They don't want to talk about Kate Steinle. They don't want to talk about uh, Officer Singh. And California Sheriff Adam Christensen, he wants to talk about it because he's still obviously furious about what happened to Officer uh, Ronald Singh. And we talked about him on the show yesterday. This officer was killed in line of duty in a traffic stop. Here's what this California sheriff says about sanctuary city policies. Play three. I simply want to focus on the fact that this is a criminal illegal alien with prior criminal activity that should have been reported to ICE. We were prohibited, law enforcement was prohibited because of sanctuary laws, and that led to the encounter with Officer Singh. I'm suggesting that the outcome could have been different if law enforcement wasn't restricted, prohibited, or had their hands tied because of political interference. That's right. Officer Singh's left behind a wife and a five-year-old son. A five-year-old son. Doesn't have a dad anymore. Officer Singh was the model of what we want immigrants to be in this country. Come in legally, you know, be a stable family, a member of a family, uh, productive citizen, serve your country, serve your community. We want Officer Singh's. We don't want Gustavo Perez's, the illegal alien, Long criminal record, but they didn't want to turn him over to ICE. He's committing crimes. Didn't want to turn him over to ICE. That's mean. Well, you know what I think is really mean? When people who are charged with public safety, when elected officials act in a lawless fashion that results in the death of a public servant, the ruination of a good American family, and undermining the rule of law in the process, all because they want to seem like they're so compassionate. You know what's not compassionate? Leaving behind Officer Singh's wife and five-year-old child. That's not compassionate. 
It's a new year and you're probably thinking about some new hires you've got to make. Or if you're a property owner, maybe you're going to be leasing it out soon, right? You need background checks done. That's just a part of the process. Go with the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation company out there, Global Verification Network. Global Verification Network is certified as a veteran owned business and they are all about customer service and getting things done. You just call them at 877-695-1179. Whatever vetting you need done, whatever background checks you need for a huge company, small company, even if you're an individual proprietor, if you're going to be leasing out your property, this is who you want to go with. I can vouch for them. I know the CEO, and I've gone to them before for help in the vetting process. So you need to check them out for yourself. Go to mygvn.com for more information. Again, Global Verification Network businesses of any size and even if you already got somebody doing your background checks call global verification see what they've got for you 877-695-1179 if he gives in now that's the end of 2019 in terms of him being an effective president that's probably the end of his presidency donald trump has made a promise to the american people he's going to secure our border every democrat in the past has i agree voted with the border funding he now they're changing in. their mind you know, Lindsey Graham, when he's right, he's right. You know, when the man is is in the zone, he's pretty good. And and I think he's correct here in terms of Trump. Uh, Trump can't cave. We, we might be in a shutdown for a very long time. Uh, Trump cannot cave. And, and that means that this is just going to continue on, uh, ultimately, because you know, Democrats don't want a secure border. And, and we should have to make them really live with that reality we, we can't allow them to uh, get away with the platitudes you know the oh yeah we want more border security you know i i get so frustrated i hear this from from democrats i had a new member of congress on today uh, he's from uh, nevada i can't remember the guy's name I, I interview a lot of congressmen these days and I, that's a lot of it blurs together and you know but he's saying yeah he's a democrat obviously because you know crystals uh, crystal brought him on because we get to pick different I pick people that I want to speak to. She picks people that she wants. So today I got to speak to the head of border, uh, or sorry, the chief of operations of Border Patrol, which was very interesting. Um, and Crystal brought in this guy who was a uh, who was a new congressman. But he's saying, you know, Democrats are for um, are for border security, and I always want to say how. And and they say they're for border security, but we should also ask why they claim to be for border security when they don't really seem to think that there is a problem with people being in the country illegally, right? I mean, they, they say, uh, you know, here, here's, a, here's a perfect example of a Democrat on MSNBC. I don't even know, I, who, who is Maria Hinojosa? I don't know, is this some kind of a policy analyst person or something? But you know, she, she's giving voice to this on MSNBC's air. Play clip five. First of all, he calls them illegal immigrants. There's no such thing as illegal immigrant, sir. No illegal human being in the planet. Let him put the camera on okay. Maria because he's yes. just talking okay. to the camera. She's saying to somebody. General Kelly, there is no such thing as an illegal human being. How many times do we have to say this? Get your grammar correct, okay? Okay, um, she's, not, she's not a well-informed person. Uh, she's a journalist. That's, uh, I mean, it's not surprising. You know, lots of journalists are not well informed of this issue. Uh, but she's wrong because federal law states that there is, in fact, something called an illegal alien. And that is what people who are in the country illegally are to be called. They are not undocumented. You can try to play all these word games as much as you want. But you're wrong. 
This is this is a right and wrong issue. This is the you remember at CNN, Apple and Banana, which is hilarious because CNN is you know full of of garbage and lies all the time. Uh, but th- this is where they you know you have to make a stand here against this. You can't let them get away with this. And the fact that she's on MSNBC saying this crap, there's no such thing as an illegal immigrant. That's a lie. That's just not true. You know, this is like saying there's no such thing as a murderer. No, there are. There are murderers. There's no such thing as homicide. No, homicide exists. You can say you you don't want it to exist, but that's not, this is not up for debate or discussion. As a quick aside here, I saw Chelsea Manning uh, tweeted out, this is now something you'll see among, among uh, left-wing activists. They'll just write the same thing out like 10 times on Twitter. And you know, Chelsea Manning, who, you know, sold out his country and, you know, for what? And now is lionizing. You read these, you read these, uh, you know, editorials about how Chelsea Manning. Not only will they talk about how he, you know, he's some kind of hero now, but also that uh, you know he's like really attractive in this fe- as a transgender female. Ooh, uh, that's that's coming. By the way, you're bigoted if as a as a heterosexual male. You do not find transgender females, which are also known as males, attractive. You're bigoted. That's you've already seen it happening. Some people have written it. Some people, you know, but the Miss Universe contest, you know, we're supposed to. I, I can't even watch the this show, The Marvelous Ms. Maisel, which is supposed to take place in the 50s. But, you know, it's Amazon. Oh, my gosh. So progressive. So much lib nonsense going on. It's one of the reasons why I like. Shows at least that are from like the, you know, the supposed to take place in ancient Rome or something, because at least then we don't have them all just giving long speeches on diversity. You know, we don't, we don't have Cicero standing up like, yes, what the con- what the Roman consuls need is more diversity. You know, at least if we, it's if it's a historical uh, a period piece or a period show, you don't get you know, you don't have quite as many lectures about transgenderism. But uh, sure enough, I'm watching the marvelous Miss Maisel with Miss with Miss Molly, and uh, they there's this they go into this drag show in Paris, and m- the main character starts talking about how beautiful all these men dressed as women are. False, uh, you know. I, if we're now beauty is sure it's subjective, it's an aesthetic thing, but you know I, I do not find men who dress as women beautiful. And I don't need people to go through this pretense of all acting like they're, that, that that's a beautiful thing. I, you know, it's the Today Show. I know you got me on transgender. I was talking immigration and now I'm on transgender. The Today Show just had on uh, this this transgender child. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not transgender child. Pardon me. Scratch that from there. This drag show child. This little boy who's dressed as a as a female and gyrating on stage. And all this stuff. I mean, this is just sick. This is bizarre. But Chelsea Manning, going back to the how I got on all this, is saying that they and them is a singular pronoun, and 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 he wrote that out, you know, ten times. That's just not true. And two plus two does not equal five. One plus one does not equal three. They can say it. They can say it. They can say it. It does not make it so. And this is true on immigration as well. Illegal aliens are a thing in law, in statute, in reality. You can go on, you can try to make me say undocumented. You will fail because you're wrong. This is a right and wrong issue. See, this is why they can't. I mean, can you imagine they have me on MSNBC or CNN? I'll just buck slap everybody. They won't, be, they won't, even, know what, won't even know what hit them. It's not even going to happen. Yeah. So, 
And for those of you who are saying, oh, Buck, why aren't you more tenacious and in, 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 uh, in slapping people around on Rising? Uh, I, my co-host, he, that's a special, that's a special relationship. Co-host relationship is special. It's like an on-air marriage. You know, you, you, this is your, this is the person that you are, you are doing a show with, you're putting out a product. So you know, Crystal's a wonderful person and uh, we, we share our points of view without attacking each other. Um, everybody else who comes though, it's fair game, but you know, I, I've got to deal with the fact that you can't get a lot of libs to come on and, and debate on these issues. Uh, you can't get a lot of libs that want to talk about this with people like me because they know they're going to be in a lot of they're going to be in a tough spot. They'd rather just preach to the choir on on how there's no such thing as an illegal person. There's no such thing as an illegal person. It's a lie. But anyway, back to the wall. I know I'm I'm covering a lot in this segment. I've gotten a little fired up and I'm flying all over the place. So I'm sorry about the uh, the lack of. I, I like other radio hosts. You know, oh this happened and that happened. Let's talk about this other story. I mean, I, I sometimes will hear you know in a car with the radio on. I'll hear you know how other hosts do this, and I'm always amazed that they'll just oh let's jump from this topic to that topic to you know oh you know Bill over there at the county farm he's got this guy whoa I thought we we're talking about tax reform you know what happened people jump all over the place but uh, I I try to stay more on topic when I can uh, Lindsey Graham back to we'll bring it all back to Lindsey Graham uh, he says that Trump is not going to sign a bill that doesn't have money for the wall I hope he's right play clip two. Let me tell you how our government works. Any bill passed from the House has to come to the Senate. It has to get 60 votes. And for it to be signed in the law, the president has to sign it. He's not going to sign a bill that doesn't have money for the wall. i tell you exactly how this is going to end. The president is going to challenge the Democrats to compromise. And if they continue to say no, they're going to pay a price with the American people. Most Americans want to do two things. They want to secure our border, and they want to be reasonable to the people like the DACA population. Uh, DACA, Lindsey Graham, uh, DACA is a lot more complicated and from a rule of law position, a lot more precarious than most mainstream GOP folks willing to admit, including, I think, Lindsey Graham. DACA is not some simple thing that we're just going to give people status and it's all going to be great. You're going to, it's going to be, the number they tell you is going to be a fraction of the end number. And there's going to be lawsuits from here to kingdom come on people saying that they should get DACA, who didn't get DACA, and oh, I'm a DACA person too, and oh, you can't prove I'm not. That all said, I think... If Trump really holds the line on this, I think Lindsey Graham is right that he needs to hold the line on this. Uh, we'll see where the American people really stand. But this is this is a pure political fight. This is all about public perception and the pressure that, that can be brought to bear on elected representatives. That's what's going to determine whether this sh- how this shutdown ends one way or the other. So that's why we need to keep the pressure on, team. That's what we're doing. I want to introduce you to a new conservative alternative to all those super lib email services out there, ipatriots.us. You see, ipatriots.us is a conservative alternative that does not share your information with all these third parties, doesn't support a bunch of progressive left-wing agenda items. It's a secure private email server that gives you more of what you want with none of the nonsense. With iPatriots.us, you get 30 gigs of cloud storage, larger attachment sizes, and much more. And you know your email files are safe because of their premium encryption. All right, iPatriots.us doesn't sell your info, and it doesn't support all that nonsense from Silicon Valley. 
It's an email, ser email service that's compatible with most mobile devices, iPhone, iPad, Android, you name it. It works on any Windows or Mac computer. So show you're a patriot. Go to ipatriots.us now. Choose your membership program. Again, enter promo code BUCK for 10% savings during your first year of membership. Again, ipatriots.us now. Promo code B-U-C-K for 10% savings. Mueller only heard evidence from people who were trying to find evidence of crimes uh, and sins against President Trump. He didn't listen to exculpatory evidence. He didn't allow anybody to cross-examine these witnesses. What if, for example, he's relying on Cohen or he's relying on Manafort and they haven't been cross-examined? These are people who are admitted liars. And so it seems to me the Trump team has to have an opportunity to rebut, present their case, mm -hmm. and then Congress and the public can look at them both together. So team, as you know, I'm here in the swamp and that has some, the drawback is that it's the swamp and I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are like, oh, I work for Congressman so-and-so, I'm really important. No, really not that important. Kind of sl slow your roll there, nerdy hill staffer. I do not care. Um, but there are some there are some benefits, and one of them is that I get the chance sometimes to uh, sit down with, uh, you know, and I'm now i got to do more of the journalist thing, so I sit down with them, and I, I can't get into specifics of who um, or, or I can't attribute to them, but I certainly can tell you when I get really worthwhile and interesting information from them, just what the information is. And I, I've been talking to some uh, some high level sources, uh, the DOJ in the last uh, last week or so since people have come back. Although a lot of DOJ is furloughed right now because of the government shutdown, and you know the the, the Mueller probe is well. This is this is not this is not particularly uh, breaking news. But you know the Mueller probe is is in its latter phase. Um, but it's also going to be allowed to continue as it sees fit, which means that, you know, you could, they could get some new avenue of, of inquiry and all of a sudden it gets extended. And that's why even if it's in the last quarter, it's not quarter based, meaning it's not, there's no set timetable here. So even if they think it's about to, when I say about to, you know, in the next few months, that's what we're talking about here, it's going to end. Um, but what, what the Mueller probe has really turned into, and there, there are concerns about this from people at DOJ that they can't necessarily vocalize. But what the Mueller probe has turned into is, is an opportunity for uh, essentially taxpayer-funded oppo research against the President of the United States. And that's what this is going to be. There's not going to be any criminal charge against uh, Donald Trump. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen. Although I, I would note that Nancy Pelosi today did say, oh, you know, it's not clear if, if you can if you can charge the president or not, uh, all, all of a sudden we're hearing that, right? They want to, that's just trying to feed you know, red meat to the left-wing loon base. You know, they're, they're coming up with different ways of, of making sure that, uh, you know, you can try to convince their side that they're, they're going to end the Trump presidency, not at the ballot box, but, but via the law. And I would just note, and this, this ties into our discussion about impeachment and, and what the current Democrat majority House of Representatives is going to do. And if, if they think that the country is going to be in a better place, if they're able, oh, we do it. Yeah, we have Pelosi. Play clip six. We have to wait and see what happens with the Mueller report. Uh, we shouldn't be impeaching for a political reason, and we shouldn't avoid impeachment for a political reason. As you well know, there is longstanding Department of Justice guidance that states 
a sitting president should not be indicted. I but it is not the that. law. That is not the law. Everything indicates that a president can be indicted. A president who is in office. Okay. Could Robert Mueller come back and say, I am seeking an indictment? I think that that is an open discussion. I think that is an open discussion in terms of the law. Notice how everything she, she says, I mean, Nancy Pelosi does, you know, intellectually, yeah, she has some good political survival instincts and all that stuff, and she, you know, is is uh, an insider, and the, you know, the ultimate Democrat political insider these days. But notice she says, everything points to, but it's an open discussion. Well, well which is it, Nancy? Can you or can't you not indict a sitting president? Uh, and and it is clear, she, she says, clearly she's not clear on what the answer to that is. Uh, but the Mueller report may or may not be made public uh, in the end. I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure to make it public. And one thing that you'll notice, and this is what Dershowitz was saying, that's why we came in with it, is that it's going to be a a, a hatchet job of the administration, no matter what. It's just going to be a compilation of all of the uh, the different exercises that Mueller and his people have been through that are all intended toward one goal, and the goal is to get a prosecution. I mean, that is what they're, that's what they're going for, to get prosecutions. They're not there to adjudicate whether or not they should be looking at people. They're trying to rack and stack scalps. That's what special counsels do. That's what of Hillary voters, you know, Weissman and, uh, you know, Jeannie Ree and all the rest of them, that, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to take down people around Trump. And so there's going to be a really uh, I think a really clear need for the administration to have a strong pushback strategy if and when that stuff comes out. But uh, also, I think you may be seeing uh, the uh, the media. I ah, I really can't get into specifics, but uh, you're going to see a media freak out about DOJ policy in the in the coming weeks. I think, and when I, when I'm able to tell you more about it, I will. Um, but uh, let's just say that. The, the journos, some of them may be in for kind of a an interesting, rude awakening. Ah, I, can't, I know, I know, I shouldn't do I can't get into more detail than that. But I've, I've got it on good good authority that um, journalists are going to be in a, in a more interesting position in terms of how they're, how they think they're, how protected they think they really are, especially when you get into some of the uh, the efforts underway to find out, you know, how do they get this information that they're then using to bash the administration? But I, I digress. I'll have more for you on that as, as I can. Uh, consider that one kind of a, a teaser for now, team. But, you know, the Mueller probe is still looms in the background. It ties into the way the Congress is going to be acting because you would think that if the special counsel wraps up, there will be there would be no need for all these just assorted investigations that are, but that's not going to be the approach that the uh, that the libs that Pelosi and company take. They're gonna they're gonna pick up where Mueller leaves off, and they're gonna use whatever's in the Mueller report as essentially the roadmap for what investigations they need to do for a full public accounting of this. Um, uh, that's unfortunately where all this is heading, but. The good news is, at the end of the day, uh, they're not going to be able to remove Trump from office, and this is going to turn into, this is all going to just point to 2020 in the election. Let's talk uh, about Syria coming up here. I, I was on Kennedy's show on Fox Business last night discussing this issue. I, I realized I didn't get into it right away, and I wanted to, because we have some updates really on where Trump stands on the uh, Syria question, the pullout, and what's, what's going to happen there. 
And uh, here, here's something that will shock none of you. Uh, Trump, Trump did not blow up the world with his decision. In fact, it's probably going to be a good decision. That's coming up. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. Well, there's so many foolish things this man has done, but this ranks pretty high. A decision that is dangerous. And a decision that is a Christmas present to Vladimir Putin. Giving a huge Christmas present to Putin and to Iran. I couldn't disagree more with this decision. It's a terrible decision. I think this will be considered one of the worst foreign policy blunders of this century. So that was the left right before the Christmas um, on Trump's announcement that we're going we're gonna to draw down in Syria. You know, worst foreign policy decision ever. Worst thing ever. Now that that's very, uh, that's very powerful stuff to say when you've had a foreign policy establishment that has been supporting uh, endless war in Afghanistan and and continued U.S. military occupation or military presence, I should say, in Iraq, and now the expansion of that to include Syria. Uh, I, I, I reject these notions that, and, and I want to get into Syria in some detail with you in a moment here, but I, I reject this idea that I'm seeing bandied about that uh, we can turn Iraq and Afghanistan into more or less what we have with South Korea, with Okinawa uh, in Japan, and and with uh, you know, Germany. You know, you point to these places where in the aftermath of a war, we set up a major U.S. military base. Here's, here's the, the problem for that analogy. We're not in the aftermath of wars. We're in ongoing conflict zones. And to have a military base in an ongoing conflict zone is a very different thing. We, even if we are temporarily the guests of the host country, we may not be welcome in the host country over the long term. And in the short term, there are real risks. If you go back and read about Reagan's military intervention, it was part of a multinational coalition. You know, you have a lot of kind of eerie deja vu about U.S. military interventions in the Middle East. And as I've told you, I mean, how many people will discuss this on their radio shows? Very few. But the French were bombing Damascus back in the 1920s. Back, you know, in the, in the early days of airplanes where, you know, what's one of the first things the French Air Force is doing? They're bombing Damascus. Trying to put down a revolt there, back in in British and French, uh, Br- you know, British and French control of the region. Uh, you know, going back to Sykes Pico, the Sykes Pico Agreement after World War One. So, and, and by the way, the jihadists in, in their propaganda will still they'll talk about the Balfour Declaration and Sykes Pico. You know, this all looms very large in that part of the world. You know, here I think people generally drop this stuff off the radar pretty quickly. But there's just no apt comparison between what's going on with our military presence in the Middle East and what happened after either the Korean War or the Second World War. And I think that we lull ourselves into a false sense of security um, by not really assessing the dangers that we face properly. You know, we thought we were able to be a, a stabilizing presence in Lebanon until... Hezbollah had a had a suicide bomber drive a truck full of explosives into a, a U.S. Marine barracks and kill over 200 of our of our of our Marines. A number of uh, a number of Navy casualties beyond beyond the Marines as well. You know, th- that's that could happen in a day. 
that's not going to happen in South Korea. It's not going to happen in Germany. It could happen in Afghanistan, and it definitely could happen in in uh, in Syria. So that's I think you know, which is obviously right next door to Lebanon. So that's one consideration that just we, we need to establish that right away. But also the hysteria around Trump's decision here, and the unwillingness to deal with the realities of what the the so called smart set consensus or the you know the foreign policy establishment, however you want to direct it. And the people that think they know a lot about foreign policy, uh, many of them were in favor. And by the way, you know, Brett McGurk, he's a I, I know people, I don't know him, but I some of the people that I trust the most that still are on the national security side, they, they say the guy's a, kind of a grandstander. And it's really all about the, the, you know, the way the media refers to Brett McGurk. I mean, you know, he's going to get, he's going to be on the uh, 50,000, not 100,000, probably the $50,000 lecture, uh, lecture circuit here for a while. And he's going to be an anti-Trumper who resigned. And it's a good, it's a good brand move for him to leave at this point. Now, are there real concerns over the Kurds and over what's... Of course, but guess what? Trump is now taking those concerns into account. When he announced this, I was saying to you on this show, I wrote it on Twitter as well, I think he's right in the grand scheme of things. Trump's decision not to create this permanent U.S. military presence in Syria or whatever, you know, nothing's ever permanent, right? So we can quibble, we can get into the semantics here. Oh, it's just, you know, we're staying for a while. Okay, well... If you're going to stay for 10 years, it feels pretty permanent to me. And when was the last, when was the last time we just said, yeah, we're going to take a military base and, you know, well, yeah, we, we did it. You know, we, we, moved, we changed our presence in Saudi Arabia because of the pressure we were under to, to, you know, to stay in Saudi Arabia, the security concerns and, and the fact that the Middle East, I mean, if you look at bin Laden in the early, in the early days of bin Laden's manifestos, people forget about this now, but it was U.S. military presence in Saudi Arabia that was getting this guy, uh, so hot and bothered. Um, so, you know, you, you look at this decision that, that Trump made, and all ever was just, oh, it was the worst decision ever. He's getting guarantees of security for the Kurds. He's slowing it down, so now it's going to take about 120 days. And, and that is important on, on its own because it tells you how entrenched we really are. You know, this isn't like, all right, everybody, like, you know, pack up the trucks, you know, hop on a few... Hop on a few uh, Blackhawks and and get out of Dodge. No, this is uh, we got a real infrastructure in place in Syria now, and you know, I've opposed this stretching back to I think I wrote a National Review a piece titled Assad an Arab Problem in 2012, where I was like, look, we should not have you, we should not have boots on the ground in Syria. It's a bad idea for X, Y, and Z reasons. And and I think that so I, that was what I thought almost now going on seven years ago. So I'm not new to this. Let's not make Syria another another Iraq-like situation. Um, I've I've tried to be at least I mean, to be principled on foreign policy is well, to be consistent on foreign policy means that you're not taking new information into account, right? You're going to be changing with the realities on the ground as much as you can. But to be principled is is I think uh, important because ultimately this is about U.S. security and about making sure that we don't have troop commitments that we should not have that we don't have people that are put our people put in harm's way for a fight that's not their fight, which is now that the Islamic State has been effectively suppressed, I won't say defeated or eradicated, suppressed, uh, we can have that discussion about, well, what comes next and who should be doing that fighting. And I think it's an important one for us all to, to focus on. 
But think about what the alternative was here. Uh, think about the alternative. And that is, if the foreign policy elites get what they want on Syria, it would mean that we stay. And now we're committed to trying to get a political settlement. What the, what, what does that political settlement look like? Look like You have Assad with Russian and Iranian backing in control of a vast majority of the Syrian population. It can be a little uh, disorienting when you look at a map of Syria and you see the, the areas that the Kurds control. Most of what they control is desert with some roads connecting some villages. There's not a lot of major population. The population centers... Damascus, Aleppo, Hama, Homs, you know, all these different, uh, you know, Latakia. I mean, these are places that the regime, the Assad regime controls, and that's where people live. So the population is already overwhelmingly under under the control of the Assad regime. um, And that's not going to change. There is no world, there's no future in which we are going to get Assad to step down. We're going to get a, you know, elections to be held. Assad won. Assad had managed to outlast and therefore defeat the anti-Assad resistance in Syria. That is reality. And that the Russians and the Iranians rushed in, pardon the wordplay, and backed him at a critical moment to prevent them from overrunning him. That's now just history. That happened. And that was under the Obama administration's watch. We can't change that. To think that now, this late in the game, we are going to have some kind of leverage vis-a-vis the Assad regime to push for a, a political seg- uh, settlement that says what? A cur- full Kurdish autonomy in these areas is not acceptable to the Turks, and the Turks will completely freak out about that. So what what do we really think this political, you know, with, with the Free Syrian Army or, you know, the, the this whatever the, the acronym that they're using for it is now, but... You know, the, the, the resistance, essentially, is it's mostly uh, Kurdish fighters still. So you know, th- there's not a, a sufficient Sunni Arab force to take on the Assad regime in any meaningful way. And we don't want them to. You know, we're not looking for it because that just perpetuates the civil war. So this is what nobody wants to say. Assad won. The Iranians are there to stay. The Russians are there to say the Russians had a base, a naval base at Tartus long before we were even getting involved in it in, or long before there was a Syrian civil war. So that None of that's going to change. So what do we really think our, our no end in sight presence gives us in Syria to help suppresses the Islamic State? Well, we're hoping the Kurdish fighters will suppress the Islamic State. We can still give them air cover. In fact, we've had a number of airstrikes since Trump made the announcement they've accelerated airstrikes as part of the planned U.S. withdrawal of of troops. So if we get guarantees of safety for the Kurds, the Kurds have already said that they're reaching out. I know we're getting deep in the weeds here, but some of you, you know, look, this is an important issue. I mean, to really know it, you have to really dig into it. Otherwise, it's just plata. Otherwise, it's the idiocy of Nancy Pelosi. They have Putin, the Christmas president. He doesn't doesn't know the first thing about any of this stuff. I mean, I think it was Pelosi who said not too long ago, the road to peace runs through Damascus right before the Syrian civil war killed a half a million people. So, you know, she doesn't know she doesn't know squat. Uh, you know, not a deep thinker on these issues at all. But as you could hear from that soundbite we came in with, oh yeah, that's right. You know, the Syrians uh, or, or the um, you know Christmas present for Putin was the line the Democrats were all going with. You know, it's important to think critically about these issues. Uh, they they matter. We have Americans who are in harm's way, and we don't 
You know, we don't want to allow this area to become a launch pad for jihadists to try to attack us and, and blow us up all over the world again, but we also can't build everyone else's society for them. They won't let us do it. Although I'm concerned, no one's thinking about this right now. I don't think the Iraqis are going to let us stay that long. Everyone just kind of assumes that our presence in Iraq is oh so welcome. Mm-mm. Uh, that's uh, that status of forces agreement or that, you know, that okay that we have with them to be in country right now, that could go any time. We don't know. Iraqi politics are less stable than we think, and they're certain they're less pro-American than we'd like to think, too. By the way, uh, Doug McGregor, who's a retired Army colonel, um, I've, I've been seeing him in the green room over at Fox. We've been talking, we've been chewing this issue over a lot lately. We have a lot of a lot of fun chatting about these different foreign policy challenges. You know, here's what he said about Syria. Play 14. You've got to remember that most of your senior officers are products of the Clinton-Bush-Obama era. So they uh, have a lot invested in this. And remember that the people who live in the seven zip codes uh, in and around Washington, D.C., have all become millionaires as a result of uh, their investment in these failed operations. And you have a lot of resistance to ending something that's been profitable for them. It hasn't been profitable for the American people. It's been a disaster. Trillions of dollars in debt over the last 17 years. Thousands of people killed and wounded. And for what? And the answer is not much. Not a lot of folks want to say it. I think I think Colonel McGregor is uh, is is at least above the target, if not right on target. I mean, he's close. Uh, he he is a he very much thinks that there's a financial incentive for the elites that never gets brought into these discussions. But you know, I, I, that's that's a thread that I'll have to pull out and 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 look at a little bit more. Um, but he he really goes after that. Play fifteen. People know once we leave Syria, once we get completely out of Iraq, once we get completely out of Afghanistan, it's over. And President Trump is going to do that. That's very clear. We got the Syrian government to go in there. We got out. Now we have created an enormous problem for Mr. Putin because Mr. Putin has cultivated the Turks. Mr. Putin has also cultivated his Iranian and Syrian allies. He's got to make a choice. Does he allow the Turks into Syria? Then he loses his position with the Syrians and the Iranians. So the notion that Mr. Putin has somehow or another won something is absurd. This has been a very clever move on the part of the president. Essentially saying it's the opposite of a Christmas present for Putin, uh, whether Putin realizes it or not. So inter- you know, like interesting kind of, kind of contrarian analysis from Colonel McGregor there. We'll have him on the show soon. I, I saw Doug uh, just last night over at Fox. We'll have him on. You know, he's a, he's a, a smart guy and, and is... He calls it like he sees it. All right, quick break, team. We'll be right back. Hold on a sec. I'm going to get me a beer. Hey, Robert, my husband Bruce is now oh, in here. Hey. Oh, hey. Um, you want a beer? No, I'll pass on the beer for now. You sure? Okay. Oh, I'll pass. Oh, yeah. So this is my sweetie. Hello. Um, oh, it's my sweetie. I love you, too. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. Oh, I'm glad you're you. here. Enjoy your beer. Oh, hello. That was Elizabeth Warren being so likable. I'm going to get me a beer, she says, as she's making a video in an effort to deal with the unlikability factor. Some of the dumbest political analysis I've heard in a long time, which is saying a lot, revolves around this idea that unlikable is somehow a word, uh, a word that is a sexist word. And I sit here, I'm like, all I heard about Ted Cruz from the Trump supporters in the primary was how unlikable Ted Cruz was. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, lots of people are on. John Kasich is unlikable. It has nothing to do with sexism. Uh, so I guess I'm not going to get a Kasich exclusive interview anytime soon. But nonetheless, I don't care. 
Uh, but Warren is trying so hard. Oh, gosh. And now she's also trying to deal with the massive. Yeah, that was a video that she released. Oh, I'm just getting me a beer. Oh, yeah. I'm going to sound folksy so people like me. Uh, she also had to deal with the whole Native American heritage situation that, well, it doesn't exist, right? Her heritage. Play clip 12. Now, the president likes to call my mom a liar. What do the facts say? The facts suggest that you absolutely have a Native American ancestor in your pedigree. I'm not enrolled in a tribe, and only tribes determine tribal citizenship. I understand and respect that distinction, but my family history is my family history. Her truth is her truth, you see, and her truth is a lie. <laughs> this, is, this is really stretching the limits of of sanity here with Elizabeth Warren. You know, uh, what was that? She released the DNA test and she's won 1,024. That, that doesn't count. I love today. Trump, Trump tweeted out, you know, a, a, a meme that was Warren, Warren won 1,020 20th, uh, which was just great. She's, she's done. You're hearing it. She's done. Democrats would be better running freshman Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. I really mean that. They'd be better running her, no question, for president. No, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren's career, uh, as, in terms of presidency, is toast. Well, you know, after he was elected president, uh, it was very much my hope uh, that he would rise to the occasion, rise to the mantle of the office. Uh, after all, becoming president of the United States is uh, quite an elevation for anybody. Uh, and he had said during the campaign that he could be extraordinary presidential. When I hear that, I think of Washington and Lincoln and, and Jefferson and, and uh, uh, Roosevelt and, and Kennedy and, and uh, Eisenhower. And, and I think of those qualities. And, and I think that while he spoke of that uh, and while that was my hope, uh, I, I don't think he's followed through uh, on that front uh, the way he's followed through on some of his other promises. I would like to just take issue again with the whole Mitt Romney Assault on the Trump presidency uh, that that you know was set off the first remember first day back in the new year everyone's getting back into their business and Mitt Romney decides that he's going to not take a shot across the bow but really a shot into the bow of the administration you know, he's really going to go after uh, Trump in, in as public uh, publicly a way as, as he can and you know just going on CNN and all these other places to just trash trash the president's character I just think it's interesting that that he says presidential and he names all these people and it's as though he's not nearly as sophisticated a thinker as he would like to believe he is because this notion that the that that presidents in the past were so presidential doesn't stand up to scrutiny i mean when you say presidential in the in the sense of uh people of you know tremendous honor and personal integrity and dignity and all this yeah there have been some there have also been scoundrels who were the president I mean, there have been people who are president. And now this is this is not to say, oh, that we you know we can't criticize presidents for bad behavior. No, it's not that at all. This isn't a whataboutism or moral relativism or anything. I'm just saying I wish Mitt had thought this through a little bit more. You're going to talk about being presidential and you're going to name JFK, who, by the way, you know, talk about nepotism, appointed his brother to be attorney general. So that that seems pretty nepotistic to me. And if you're going to discuss personal conduct you know this just go and you can read the uh, in the memoir of some young woman i think she was 19 in the white house at the time i won't get into the details but let's just say that there was a lot of lascivious and decidedly unpresidential behavior going on in the kennedy white house and I'm, we just know not even the half of it 
you go back and you look at presidents past, it's just, and, and I'm not even going with the whole Bill Clinton thing, which don't even get me started, right? We, we've, we've already had this national conversation about presidential conduct and, and actions and, you know, what the Democrats decided in the 90s with a with the, the media as much of a, a saturation presence in our lives as it is, is as long as the person's given us what we want, we're going to support them and we don't really care. And, and even up to and including clear violations of law, which were the case with, uh, you know, Bill Clinton and, and some of the other Hillary Clinton later on, but even the case of clear violations of law. So we've already had this conversation. I just I think it's interesting that the uh, the the standard that Mitt Romney cites isn't even really the standard. Uh, sounding presidential, what does that mean? Mitt Romney's editorial that he wrote in the Washington Post did not give me a single takeaway for what what a person should do in a tough policy decision or on a tough policy issue. There was nothing other than just you know we'll be with our allies and you know do this and do that. I mean, it was the most boilerplate i felt like i was reading a high school valedictorian speech where at the end he's going to say so we need to seize the future thanks mitt we'll be sure that we focus on seizing the future you know carpe dm we'll seize the day whatever i think it's i think it's nonsense uh, and and this idea that trump hasn't risen to the occasion i sit here i sit here as as somebody who was a a a trump voter but definitely a little skeptical of how this would go, and if nothing else, I mean, you've got to give this guy credit for withstanding the withering assault on him from the media. I mean, the media is psychotically anti-Trump. They embarrass themselves with their anti-Trumpism, and we just assume that, oh, well, you know, Trump can handle it because anybody would handle it. That's not true. If you put a standard-issue GOP establishment guy in the Oval Office who was the one who stopped Hillary, who stopped the great glass ceiling from being shattered and all this stuff, and was subject to the kind of just lunacy. You know, he's a conspiracy with Russia. He's a racist. He's a criminal. He's a traitor. He's, you know, you've got former heads of of intel agencies calling the sitting president of the United States somebody who's committed treason. You know, if we're really going to keep score and look at what has done and whether he's risen the occasion, this guy's tenacity, I mean, Donald Trump's ability to take the heat is 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 phenomenal. I mean, it's in the sense of it's a real he's a phenom. It is not normal. This would break other people. I mean, I know Bush by the end of his presidency, just from all the media criticism and Iraq war stuff. I mean, he was. He was operating on fumes. And I don't mean the last six months. I mean the last four years. And he did not have a lot left in the tank. And and he wasn't subjected to quite the same. It was it was bad. And, you know, I think we easily forget about uh, how much we heard that Republicans were Nazis even in the Bush era. And that, you know, Republicans were, you know, war criminals in the Bush era. You know, not, this is nothing new. Every... Every Republican president is going to be accused by the media of having cheated in the election somehow. Every Republican president's illegitimate. I mean, this is nothing new. This is the new standard that the left-wing loons uh, are are asserting, or at least we can see them asserting it. Anyway, back to a uh, back to Romney here for a second. Um, then I feel like he 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 seems to think that what he did had to be done. That Romney had to write this op-ed. And had to 
trash the president after, as I mentioned yesterday, seeking his endorsement, asking him to be secretary of state. You know, when it when it benefits Romney, he's all about Trump. So I think that makes it really hard to take this guy seriously when he wants to be the one speaking truth to power about Trump. Uh, and now he says, well, you know, we're going to have a good relationship. Play eight. I've continued to point out places where we're different. And that's the great nature of this representative democracy, which is where we agree. We come together where there are disagreements. Uh, we express those openly and honestly. That allows people to have trust in one another. And I look forward to being able to have a trusting relationship with the president and with others, despite differences from time to time. Uh, you know, I think it's hard to have a trusting relationship where somebody in, an, in a really unprovoked an unproductive fashion goes after your character so publicly. And I don't think that we needed a lecture on presidential decorum from failed candidate Mitt Romney. I really don't. And and I can't help but notice that, you know, you look back at the pre-Trump GOP offerings for the presidency and you've got, you've got Romney and before that you've got McCain Two people who perhaps in, in fashion only rivaled by like John Kasich and maybe Jeff Flake, you know, two people who are really fair weather Republicans, you know, not not Republicans when it counts at all, uh, not conservatives, not G, not supporting GOP in order to get things done, but are much more concerned with their own quest for personal political glory. It says a lot. Think about that. Before Trump, we had. Romney and McCain, and these are those are both people. I mean, obviously McCain's passed away, but these are both people who went after went after Trump with everything they have, and and I I just would I'd feel a little bit more comfortable with their criticisms, although I would disagree with them regardless. But I feel a little more comfortable. I felt like there was just some introspection, some willingness to. Just dive into why is it that that Trump was it? Why did Trump win? It's not because of Russia. Only idiots think that. Okay, it's not because of Russia. Why did Trump win? What did he tap into? It's not xenophobia or racism either. You got a lot of previous Obama voters who voted for Trump. What is it? Well, there's something at the core of American cultural and political life right now that feels rotten. And if nothing else, Trump is willing to speak about that and willing to call out the the system and its inequities, the, the unfairness that exists within our system. And a lot of the GOP elite, a lot of the GOP establishment, you know, wants to just tell us all, oh, you know, just look at Milton Friedman, you know, open markets, free trade, everything's great, you know. No, everything is not great. Everything is not fair. The market is not just speaking all the time. In fact, there's a lot of self-dealing and uh, self-interest that's driving these decisions by government. So uh, at least Trump says it's a swamp and it's gross. I mean, that's a start. Romney and McCain seem to think it's all about great public service, and we know it's not. I have the single most important New Year's resolution that I know you can all follow through on. Become a Black Rifle Coffee subscriber. I'm sure most of you, maybe all of you, drink a little coffee. I certainly need my coffee, and I drink Black Rifle 
every day. In fact, I drink it a few times a day. You can make your whole life easy when it comes to getting your coffee by joining Black Rifles Coffee Club. They can send it to you in three, six, or nine-month packages. You just sign up for it, and it shows up at your door. And by the way, Black Rifle gives a portion of all sales to veteran and first responder causes. So you can drink delicious coffee, make it really convenient for you, and be supporting a fantastic all-American veteran-owned and operated company that gives back to veteran causes. This is win-win all around. Nothing cures your bad attitude like starting your day with the most American freedom-loving coffee ever, Black Rifle Coffee. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. Again, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Stocks getting hammered today, folks. Gotta tell you, it's... I, I have a, a kind of a, a baby portfolio that I manage of my own, um, and it, it's, it's feeling a little rough right now. I go to producer Mike. He is my sage uh, when it comes to all, all <laughs> investing because he's got, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's got some, some stones, man. He, he'll, he'll stay in these markets. Mike, how rattled are you by this stuff right now? Stock's down 10%. Uh, Dow's getting hammered, 660 points. What, what the heck? Yeah, not at all. Not Worried a little bit. Look at you, man. Cool yeah. as a cucumber. You're, you're like be. Warren Buffett, except not 80 <laughs> and a closet liberal. Yeah, the Oracle of New York. That has a nice ring to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, people are saying, oh, I'm going to sell out of my Apple. I'm going to sell out of Amazon. I'm like, these are the most valuable companies that have ever been created in the history of the world. Right. I, I think I think they're going to be okay. Yeah, I agree, man. It's, okay. uh, yeah, it's easy to get rattled, you know, when you see... And one thing I noticed, which is funny when you're watching the news all day like I do, is when the stock market's plummeting, you know, the stations go haywire and you have the Dow up there. And then at the end of the day, when it turns around, like the other day we had what that, uh, the biggest uh, turnaround in stock market history when it was getting, it was down, Dow was down 600. And yeah, it went up a thousand. Well, yeah, that was like one day, yeah, one day it went up a thousand, but then the next day it went down, I think 600 and finished plus 200. It's an 800 point swing. It was the biggest swing in the history of the stock market. And why the st- why the market was getting hammered? They're all over, like, oh, it's six down six hundred points when it's down six hundred points. But when it finished up two hundred points, they didn't really talk about it. I thought that was interesting. You know, I'm uh, I guess like in a classic, you know, like a classic almost forty conservative. I've really taken an interest in investing in my four hundred one k in the last couple of years. And right. as people listen to the show know, I've actually even done some work with a with a financial research group called Stansbury. Just mm-hmm. great guys that do do fantastic work. Um, and, and, but you know, I'm a novice, right? I'm a novice investor in this. One right. thing that I do know is nobody can time the market. Correct. And the way you really hurt yourself is by trying to time the market and, and selling when basically things get scary, you sell. Right. Because not only are you losing, you know, you're basically selling when it's low and buying when it's high, which is not what you want to do. You're also paying fees, even if they're not very big fees on all those transactions. So I, right. I can give that little bit of, I've picked up that bit of advice. Right. Yeah. There was a uh, book when I was an amateur investor, I still am very amateur, but one of the books I read back in the day was uh, a book by a guy named Dr. Jeremy Siegel who taught at the University of Pennsylvania called Stocks for the Long Run. And it was just that title always just stuck out to me because you get in, you you just got to stay in. I mean, go with like what you like and invest in and companies want to invest in, but don't do it for short term. And that's basically, you know, there's a couple of. Yeah, this is what I was telling everybody that, you know, producer Mike and I talk about, we talk about our portfolio sometimes in the breaks between, and, and for those of you who are like, oh, Buck, I don't care about stock investing. Well, you know, the stock market is, first of all, it, it's necessary to 
to keep all of our pension plans going. And, you know, the, the, the stock market is not just for people that that are trying to, you know, grow, grow their own personal wealth over time. There, there are real important tie ins to uh, to the economy in ways that affect pretty much everybody. Your 401k, obviously. But even if you have a pension plan, uh, the stock market plays a big role in it because those pension plans at the state level, a lot of them rely on five, six percent annualized growth, which. A lot, you know, you look at a year like last year, uh, they didn't hit their 5% growth marks, I'm sure, in a lot of major funds. So, you know, I, I think it's important for people to pay some attention to it. But I, I'm I'm just, you know, trying to trying to learn as I go here. And I just feel like a couple a couple things that I, that I tell myself to make myself feel a little better. One is if you look at the Dow Jones going all the way back to 1978, I think, which is when it they started tracking it. Um there is a very clear trend, and that is that over time, it goes up. Over time, the U.S. stock market is getting wealthier and wealthier. And, you know, it, so if you, to your point, Mike, if you take that long-term view, uh, you're going to be in better shape than if you're trying to essentially day trade, which is not a good idea. I, I do not recommend that for folks. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, yeah, there's been this... Yeah, we've had these interest rate hikes also, which are, you know, that didn't happen during the Obama administration. There was no interest rate hikes, and we've had a few, which is fine, which is good. And I think once we, you know, once the market adjusts to the hikes, I think, uh, and by end of first quarter 2019, we're going to forget all about this because it's going to be back to running wild again. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think there's gonna, things are going to pick up, you know. Yeah. I think things are going to get better. Yeah, I agree. Um, I did, when, did, when was the first, I'm trying to see, when was the first Dow Jones reading? Uh, oh no! They, they have here Dow Jones Industrial Average goes all the way back to 1896. What? I thought they didn't start reading this. Uh, oh, maybe. Uh, anyway, I think they've changed the indices. Don't, this, folks. This is where I'm, I'm getting beyond my. You know, this is why I say I'm a novice. I'm a novice. Don't. Some of the basics I'm telling you are true, but don't don't take anything I say to the bank, man. I'm trying to learn this stuff as I go. But it's fun. I gotta say one. It, yeah. It's it's fun to to be an adult who spent a lot of time developing expertise in some areas and show up. It's almost like I'm taking piano lessons for the first time. I'm like, huh, like someone explained to me EBITDA. You know, it's a different a different approach. Another thing, though, just for, since, since we're doing like Buck's not-so-great financial, or I should say not-so-expert, the, the advice overall is pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a friend of mine told me recently, he's like, hey, you know, you got you know, you mentioned interest rates, Mike. He's like, you got a savings account. I said, yeah. He said, well, what are you getting on that savings account? And I was like, ah, 0.06% or something. And, you know, there's there are places you can go where you can get over a 2% return, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's actually nice. It actually <laughs> makes a difference. Yeah. Well, uh, well I'll book a uh, yeah, financial anyway. expert yeah. and we could tell him, you know, our thoughts on what the market is. And he'd be like, all right, you guys are going to pull way off base. Yeah, it's going to be funny. He's, yeah. he's, he can either laugh at it or, like, you know. So don't listen to Buck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I should stick to politics and national yeah. security. That's really, the, that's really the, the end state of this conversation. But anyway, I, I just brought Mike on, everybody, because I want him to make me feel better about uh, the Amazon and Facebook stock yeah. that I own because, wow, they have been getting, don't they've been sweat getting hammered. It. And look, this is going to be on – I will – yeah, don't sweat it. You know what I actually – I will say on a political side. On a, You just mentioned Amazon. It's funny. I just read an article. There's a, there's a few people. I forget where the guy's from. It might have been Barron's. He predicted Amazon. Amazon's sitting around $1,500 a share right now. It was, it, it's high in 2018. It was a little over $2,000 a share. He was predicting $4,000 a share by end of 2019. So. Wow. Yeah. He wow. Was, he was a little bit off. Bullish. Well, no, end of 2019. Off. He's By end of 2019. Oh, okay. So he's got, we've got time. we got time. We, yeah, we, by we end of next time. year, he sure. thinks it's going to double. Uh, 
You know what this, but you know what the other, the, there was more bad news today, Mike, and this is going to be near and dear to your heart. I don't, you probably haven't even seen this yet, so I'm sorry to be the one to break this to you, but uh, according to, according to Drudge Report here, Israeli model Bar Raffaele is facing criminal charges for tax evasion and perjury. Uh, you know, free, free Bar Raffaele is all uh, I can say. So that's why she hasn't called me back. Exactly. I'm, I got to tell you, I'm a fan, you know, I'm glad she got rid of that bum DiCaprio. Yeah, he's Damn a tool. It. So. There you go. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, a very rich one. But yes, uh, correct. There we have it. Anyway, Buck and, Buck and producer Mike's financial corner, everybody. Uh, do not make any decisions based on anything we've said. Uh, I just wanted to want to vent a little bit on this one. Uh, I am going to come back and get into some try to do some uh, roll call here. And that's going to be fun because it's always fun. So stick around for that. And Facebook.com slash Buck And if you want to send thoughts coming up. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Indeed, another day in the life of uh, Mr. Buck Sexton here in D.C. Thank you so much all for hanging out. I hope you're you're as happy to be back in the hut as I am. I, I missed it. This is the problem I have with vacations, is that vacation is really... Not something that I can fully enjoy, knowing that every day that I'm out, really, uh, three days I ha- I can handle pretty well. I can be out for three days, maybe four. Once I get beyond that, I start to say, "How? I, I wonder, I wonder how the team's doing. You know, I wonder if, if everybody's okay. You know, across the country, if everyone's, you know, just making sure they're eating all their uh, veggies and uh, you know, spreading freedom." And I, I start to my wa- my mind uh, wanders back to that, so I I can't really enjoy my mezcal on the rocks and my beach time which by the way i'm in desperate need of those two things because i have not done that in quite a while this year i just stayed in the dc area i I really just was in on sleep patrol uh, which i know that's that's a boring story for me to tell you so i'm not going to do that let's get right to it um let's get to it here oh hold on a second see here we got a message from wow this is interesting uh, interesting. This is from Fox News. Uh, and this is from, I'm oh, sorry, this is from Michael, rather. And it, But he's sending me a Fox News. I'm just seeing this now. F- apparently, I made it onto their website. He says, Bub, you're really chopping in tall cotton now. Fox News just assumes people know who you are. Uh, and uh, th- there's Sexton, no Trump derangement syndrome limits. There we go. I made it all to the front of the Fox News website for I, I suppose that was for out. Was that for outnumbered or when, when did I say that? Well, anyway, Michael, thank you for bringing it to my attention. I don't even know I made it on the Fox News dot com website, but there you go. Uh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of those things that always annoys me is uh, depending on the outlet that writes about you. Obviously, Fox is that's that's my even though I'm technically not a member of the family, I consider Fox. Uh, my family I have tons of friends over there. I do obviously a lot of shows and uh, I'm just very fond of of the people who work at the network and, and obviously agree with what they're trying to do every day. Um, but other places, you know, Mediaite, which is a, a kind of trade publication online for people that work in the media, you know, whether they call you conservative analyst or by your name is uh, it depends on who the writer is there. And it's always a little it's a little slight. You get very used to slights in this business. You know, people kind of people spitting in your petunias, if you know what I mean. Actually, I don't even know what I mean. I don't even know if that made sense. James, same first name that I have. 
uh, writes, Buck, you sound uh, you used a soundbite at the start of yesterday's podcast about how the cost of the wall would be offset by savings in detention and processing. Can you point to the source? Someone is challenging me where I heard it. Thanks. Um, that was uh, that was uh, Tom Homan, who was the former the former acting director of Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. I think he was saying that on Fox News, but that was Tom Homan. Um, I, you know, so if you look up Tom Homan and that soundbite or that uh, quote, you should be able to pull it out uh, pretty easily. Amy writes, Oh, Buck, I am so angry about Mitt Romney. He swept into Utah with his billions and the establishment's millions and edged out any conservative that might stand a chance. For the first time ever in 2016, I voted straight Republican ticket knowing that Mitt was my only option. I figured it was better to get him than hand the Senate to the Democrats. I will say, however, in Utah's favor, that the state punishes our rhinos. I helped Mia Love get elected to my district, and I joined my district in speaking out against her when she voted with Boehner instead of the district. Please notice that she lost in 2016. People were and are still mad at her for doing a belly flop into the swamp waters of D.C. You know, I love my belly flop analogies. I expect Mitt will not only will not serve another term as our senator. Heck, maybe we can even recall him. Amy, you know, Mitt for me was it's not just that I disagree with a lot of of what he says in that editorial, particularly on the, on the foreign policy side. I mean, to act like the establishment has had the answers on foreign policy in recent years is to really allow yourself into a, a delusion. Um, the establishment has made horrible errors, strategic. And, and I don't mean errors that nobody could have seen coming. I mean, errors that history tells us. You know, you can go back. This guy, Mike Scheuer, who's kind of fallen off the fallen off the radar. I don't know what really happened to him, but you know, he was a very outside-the-box thinker and w- w- was formerly a, a CIA analyst who was running what became essentially the bin Laden unit at the at the agency. And he wrote this book. Um, he wrote this book that went into how, you know, we, we should know everything we need to know about uh, the book is called Imperial Hubris, Why the West is Losing the War on Terror. And yeah, Michael Scheuer. I mean, I read that book before I was told to read that book before I went into the CIA by people in the CIA who were like, you need to read this book. And and Mike was right. He's like, we're going to go in there. We're going to think it's going to be different. And it's not going to be different. So don't let the don't let the foreign policy elites uh, such as they are. And look, when I say that, I, I, there's no easy way to have these conversations. You know, do I think, you know, is somebody like my friend uh, Jim Carafano over at the Heritage Foundation, is he an in, in elite in a sense because he's got not only military service, but decades of expertise in foreign policy. Yeah. So, you know, just because you're in the foreign policy establishment doesn't mean that you're not somebody who I think is really worthwhile and and has a lot of good things to say uh, on these issues. But in general, the foreign policy establishment, I think, has been very, very wrong. And Imperial Hubers is a good book. I mean, Scheuer, he burned some butts over at uh, over at Langley with this one. They did not and it wasn't just Langley. I mean, it was really the the um, overall the administration and and everybody who was working on Afghan policy was really uh, ticked off about this. So, uh, but b- back to Romney. Sorry, that got me on a little bit of a, of a rant there. Back to Romney for a second. You know, he's allowing himself to be used by the other side. 
He's allowing what he says to be a weapon against whether he's willing to accept this or not, the very policies and ideas that he claims that he's all for. So what I mean by this is, you know, he went on, you know, Jake Tapper's show. And those of you listening to the show know that I'm not a fan of Tapper's work or or Tapper. Um, but, you know, he, he went on Tapper's show and they're just giving him this platform, putting him on these Sunday shows and and elevating him in this moment to trash Trump and the right with him. Because remember, Trump is the de facto leader of the Republican Party right now. And so if you're somebody who really cares about just go down the list, secure borders, uh, rule of law, supporting life, um, you know, being being pro-life support, just go down all the, you know, limited government, although we don't really talk about that anymore. You know, that's even a it's a fair question. What do conservatives even stand for right now that we can all agree on? I know what you would say, what I would say about conservatism, but at the national level, it, it feels a little bit like we're we're not concerned with the debt. We're not concerned with the deficit. We're not, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we have. We haven't reformed entitlements. We haven't gotten rid of Obamacare. You know, we got a lot of work to do. Sorry, I'm kind of ending the, going toward the end of the show here on a bummer note. But Romney supposedly cares about all those things. And he allows, by going on Tapper's show and allowing himself to be uh, manipulated in this way, whether he knows it and doesn't care or just isn't savvy enough to know it, I can't tell you. How can you claim to care about these things? You know, do, do you do you want conservative justices on the Supreme Court or not? Do you want uh, a deregulation going on at the federal agency level or not? You know, there's a lot of things that by taking Trump down, you're taking all that down too. This is very. You know, and I, I want to be very clear because I'm hoping that all of you listening to this show are going to be joining the millions of other people down the line who will be uh, listening to this show. And, I, and I'm going to have to own some things later on that that I'm telling you now. And one of them is it's going to be very hard to uh, attack a future Democrat administration or Republican administration, but to attack a future administration on, you know, on issues of character, on issues of truthfulness. I mean, we're going to. That's going to be tough. You know, we've accepted, a lot of us have, I think many of you listening, a more transactional relationship with politics now than we previously had as conservatives, meaning that Trump gets stuff for us or is trying to get things done in a policy level, and that's what we care about first and foremost. Everything else is very secondary. Um, there's There's merit to that argument, and that's a serious argument, and I think that Romney comes along with all this character stuff and talking about how Trump is a bad man, essentially. And you have to look at Romney and say, are you really willing to just give up on all the rest of, of the things that, you know, people like me support Trump to try and get? You know, do you care about borders? Do you care about life? Do you care about rule of law? Uh, do you care about capitalism? Do you, care, you know, you, you look at by the, way, the Democrat left is going to get scarier and scarier over the next two years. Trust me. You know, if you care about all those things and you're trashing Trump, you got to ask to what end? And uh, I think Mitt Romney didn't ask that question nearly, nearly enough. Uh, I'm sorry, I went on a bit of a, uh, a bit of a tear there. You know what? Let me. I haven't done double roll call in a while, so that's actually fine. Let me. I'm gonna hit a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do a little more roll call because I can. Because why not? And uh, stay with me. All right. I said I was gonna do more roll call because you know I, I missed hearing from all of you. 
I'm also hoping to maybe, you know, I get into these these uh, cycles of thought. And that wasn't particularly artfully worded, but I, I get in the zone and, you know, we don't take as many phone calls as we used to. And, and that's been pointed out by some of you. You're like, look, Buck, I, I don't I don't want calls all the time. You know, it, it's it's generally the mark of a, uh, a somewhat lackadaisical radio host to just be like, all right, let's just every day open the lines and let like everybody else talk for an hour because, you know, there's only so much quality control you can do about the topics that way. That said, I want to do more calls. So I'm thinking about doing one night a week and you can let me know on Facebook if you like this idea where I, you know, the the second hour of the show, we're just going to we're going to rack and stack calls. I mean, I, I want you know, I want to take a lot of calls from a lot of you. So at least that way, we, people always know, hey, if there's something on Monday that I really want to talk to, not just Buck, but everybody about who's listening across the country, I can call in and know that, you know, if I'm willing to be a little patient, because usually when we open the lines up that, it, you know, it's like a Christmas tree, all the lights go off. But if you can be a little bit patient, uh, we'll make sure you get, we'll get you on air. I want to do that. I mean, Facebook has been working great for us on this so far because it allows people to so easily and in their own time. It also brings our podcast audience into the discussion in a way that, you know, is is nice because we have a very, uh, shall we say, a very robust nationwide uh, download podcast audience. So the the right, the digital, and I know I've been saying I'm going to get an email address set up forever. And I just, um, you know, we got to do that. Producer Mike, DJ John, can we make a note? We got to do that. We got to get it. We got to get a real, not like a official team buck gmail address which just sounds like i'm trying to get people to give me their bank information because i'm a nigerian prince or something that's not good all right roll call roll calls buck stay on task yeah i I missed you guys so i get all i get all flustered uh rachel let's go she writes hey buck i have two thoughts for you number one in regards to the rule in radio where you have someone fill in for you so that your audience misses you I think that your excellent subs just make us appreciate you even more because you care so much about your audience to leave us in good hands. Well, thank you, Rachel. I, I really appreciate that. And that's honestly my goal. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. That's that's my approach to my fill-ins. I, I want you, those of you who are li- used to listening to this show Monday through Friday, or if you listen to the podcast over the weekend, um, I I want you to always feel like when you're giving me your time, it's worthwhile. So I, I'm, I'm getting the best fill-ins I possibly can every time. And your feedback on fill-ins especially really matters because, you know, I, I'm these are everybody who fills in on the show I know and, you know, I, I'm friends with them or I, I professionally at least have spent a lot of time with them. So it's, it's something to, uh, to consider. You know, one person that I'm thinking we should bring in to a fill-in would be a Sagar and Jetty from The Daily Caller. I, I just think... He's such a, a good guy and really sharp reporter. I think he's actually got radio chops. So I, I'm hoping to do what I've done for some people over at Fox News, which is start them off in a direction in their career that they hadn't even considered before. There are a number of people who are now Fox News correspondents and anchors who I will have you know, and the original Saturday Squad, you guys all know this, but there are people who they got started in this business because I called them or I emailed them and said, hey. Uh, some of you are probably familiar. Maybe, you know, I, I was a big uh, and early proponent of Ellison Barber when she was at the Washington Free Beacon. Now she's a, a rising star over at Fox News. Uh, I didn't find her, but I was somebody who was uh, very much in, in favor of, of putting her on TV at The Blaze. I did find Jillian Turner, who is just 
she is hosting shows over at Fox now. She's doing a, a great job um, of that. And, you know, uh, there, there, there are a few others that I, I don't want to go into too much. Detail. I don't want to take too much of a bow here, but there are a few others that I've helped get going on all this. Uh, in fact, we have, uh, I'm hoping we'll get Joe Simonson back on radio sometime as a guest. He is a Daily Caller reporter. He does some Fox News, too. He was an intern for me at uh, at the, the Blaze in the original Saturday version of this show at the Blaze. He was um, he was my intern and we both wore boat shoes. And I saw he came in. I mean, talk about a way to impress the boss. You know, he came in wearing not just boat shoes, but Sperry Gold Cup. John, it's like he was my it's like he was my brother from another mother. I mean, you know, we're wearing the same shoes down to the and that's a very those of you who know the Sperry Gold Cup. It's worth the extra 60 bucks to get it to get it right. William, by the way, that's my if I could have a dream sponsor, uh, I think the dream sponsor would be Sperry would be high on the list. And I have I've had more pairs of Sperry shoes in my life than any other brand of, of anything. William writes, I'm listening to last night. Uh, Buck says the EIB doesn't use guys with an active show as guest host. Lo and behold, at noon, Todd Herman comes on as guest host. Not only does Todd have an active show, he's in the 3, p- 3 to 6 p.m. Pacific time slot. For those of you time zone challenge, that's the same slot Buck's in. That's all I'm going to say about that. Huh. Wow. Uh, you know, I might have to. I might have to make a phone call. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I guess that they will. Maybe the policy has changed, but uh, I, I have to call. I have to call El Rushbo's team. Say, hey guys, uh, I'm still. I'm very. I'll do six hours of radio. You just tell me when. I think it's because we're on the same network and it's the same syndicator. I think that's the rule. I think maybe if you're outside, unless he's an iHeart host as well. Um, but I'll look into that. Thanks for the heads up, William. Yeah, I gotta. I'm gonna have to give myself a code red. Team, it's been real. I'll see you tomorrow. Shields high.